Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is three keys to LinkedIn success with my friend Vivica Von Rosen. How's it going, Vivica? Excellent. It's a nice sunny day here in Colorado. Oh, it's always sunny in Colorado. (laughs) It is. (laughs) (laughs) Where are you at in Colorado? We're in Loveland, Colorado, about an hour north of Denver. Is that one of the places that get tons of snow? No, no, we're in the front range. So it's about three times a year we get a big, big snowfall. Otherwise, it's it's actually really nice. Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> it's nice. Nice. So Vivica, please introduce yourself and your company. Sure. So as you know, I'm Vivica Von Rosen. I am one of the co-founders of Vengresso. We formed about four years ago, uh, basically a bunch of social selling and LinkedIn experts came together and decided to kind of form a Uber company. But I've been in the LinkedIn game since about 2005 when I was introduced to LinkedIn. I've written four books now on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I'm a LinkedIn learning author and then, of course, we've got Vengresso, which is growing rapidly. <laughs> very good. Very good. So you do all this LinkedIn work. You've been doing it for how long? Since about 2005. So is that 16 years? Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> when did LinkedIn start? It formed in Reed Hoffman's living room in 2003. I think it became official in 2004. And so, yeah, it has been around for a long time. When we were prepping for this, I was talking to you about this. I got on LinkedIn and I thought right away, oh, I love this. I love this. And it says, connect with your coworkers. And I was like, coworkers? And so I went to like automotive people like Chrysler or Ford. And I thought, I'll find old friends or whatever, reconnect. No one was on it. And then I was like, start looking for my neighbors, my family, my friends. I was the first of all. And I'm thinking it was probably 2004 five, six, seven, whatever it was. No one was on it, it seemed, for years. And I remember saying, I like it. And then I remember it was many years later that when I started having friends, this was when I was doing some work at Chrysler, people go, my God, Joe, you have this all these connections. And it was like, you have like a thousand connections. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, I've been on it for a long time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up and where'd you go to school and give us some career highlights before you started your company? Yeah, well, when you started talking about Chrysler, I'm like, I wonder if he lives in Detroit. So I'm Canadian. I was born in Canada and actually lived in Windsor for a very long time. Started at university. That is actually the Florida of Canada. (laughs) It is. It is. Exactly. (laughs) It just dips down a little bit, right? The Michigan thumb comes up. Yeah. So we're the sunny, the sunny, lovely town of Windsor, Ontario. Ironically, I live right across from Windsor, uh, Colorado now. So um, can't get away from Windsor. Just can't get away from Windsor. But uh, went to school in Kitchener-Waterloo. And WLU, yeah, and then ended up in BC because, you know, don't all Canadians want to end up in BC before I moved to truly Florida. (laughs) Real Florida, though. (laughs) So then when did you move to Colorado? I moved to Colorado in 2001. 
I'd had enough of traffic and enough of sweating my butt off and <laughs> enough of flat land and just decided, well, I won't get into what happened in 2000 and 2001 other than what we know. But yeah, I was just like, okay, I've got complete freedom. I can go anywhere I want right now. Where have I always wanted to live? And it was like, Colorado, okay, I'll go there. And the job I thought I was going to get fell through, but it all worked out in the long run. <laughs> So give us some career highlights. Oh, man. So when I was in Canada, I started off as a professor and just realized very quickly that was what, not what for me. With topics? <laughs> a combination of, I would say, Native American women's autobiography. So it was women's studies, but I had a focus in Native American culture, which I, I'm not Native American. So I am a woman, but I'm not Native American. So yeah, that very quickly became like not cool. Um, and yeah, so it just, it really wasn't for me. So then I moved to Florida where I started a computer company <laughs> and helping basically the elderly, which now I'm realizing is people my age, <laughs> work their computers, i.e. plug them in and reboot. And then I did that for a while. And then I decided, you know, that that's not really for me either. So then I went, well, what do I love? You know, they always say, do what you love and the money will come. So then I started a tax store for horses because I lived on a farm by that point and loved horses. So then I actually bought a tax store and I did that for a while. And I found out when you work at what you love, you start to hate it. And so, right. <laughs> right? so I'm like, I wasn't riding anymore. It's like all I was doing was working the tax store and like, Bleh. and at that point now we're close to 2001 and life situations happen. I'm like, okay, time to move. And so I thought I was going to get a teaching job again back in Colorado, but I didn't have a Colorado teaching license and I decided I didn't really want to teach that much. So on the ride home from the interview, which where I didn't get the job, my car broke down. And this is where I started really getting into sales because the car dealership, my salesperson sold me a car. They gave me a job and actually ended up renting a room for my, for my car sales guy. So then I was in car sales for about four years because it's lucrative. I mean, that's where I discovered like you can make a you, you lot of money. You definitely learned sales, sales there. <laughs> exactly. So you can make a lot of money in sales. But what I discovered was I really didn't like selling cars. So then I got picked up. One of my customers that I sold a car to said, hey, you're great at sales. Do you want to come into this medical device company and sell medical devices, which was also pretty lucrative until they got a divorce and the company went under, at which point I was then hired to run a kosher space, a business office. And that's when I was introduced to LinkedIn. It was, again, it was like 2005. And a woman came in who talked about Web 2.0, you know, the whole fact that the web was interactive. It was such a big deal. It tells you how long ago it was. And at the end, she mentioned this thing called LinkedIn. And we had a virtual aspect to our business being a virtual officing company. And I'm like, oh, wow, 7 million users on LinkedIn. That's insane. That's like 7 million potential clients for us. So I dove into LinkedIn. There wasn't, my friend Jason Alba had written, well, he wasn't my friend at the time. We became friends, but he had written the book, I'm on LinkedIn, Now What? And that was the only book on LinkedIn at the time. And so I just absorbed that book and I started teaching about LinkedIn at local chamber events. And then one of the associations we were a member of said, hey, we hear you've been talking about LinkedIn. Do you want to come speak about it? This is back when you could speak 
travel and speak (laughs) pre-COVID. Yeah. seems like a million years ago. And I said, okay, sure. Where? And they're like, yeah, it's in New York. We'll pay for your travel and everything. You'll be staying at the Waldorf and you'll be uh, speaking in the ballroom to a room full of million and billionaires. (laughs) So that was my first big speaking gig. And so, yeah, did that, was able to quit my day job. God. And so I became fully immersed and started my business, LinkedIn to Business, in 2007. And then, like I said, wrote a couple books. My editor for LinkedIn One Hour a Day, Wiley, left Wiley and went to lynda.com. And so he's like, hey, do you want to teach a couple LinkedIn courses at lynda.com? I said, sure. Not knowing that LinkedIn was going to buy lynda.com and turn it into LinkedIn Learning. So that all worked out very well. So I did that until about 2016. And I was like, I cannot do one more LinkedIn profile. I cannot do one more talk on LinkedIn. Like I'm so over LinkedIn, which is about the time Mario started saying, you know, hey, thinking about creating this Uber company, are you interested? And I'm like, "Mm, no, (laughs) but he kept at me. And so eventually I'm like, oh, okay. So I met with, there was by that point, seven of us, we met in California and talked about what we wanted to create. By the time we created Vengresso, there were five of us and now there's four of us, but so it was really with the idea that you wanted to be able to take on bigger customers. And it's hard when you're a one-man band or one-woman band. Exactly. It makes sense. And it is crazy because you've been on LinkedIn a long time. So have I. And I remember I went over to my local chamber of commerce and showed them LinkedIn one time. I remember them going, well, yeah, but... And I was like, "You guys, where, what are you doing? Get on LinkedIn. And it's funny because I said, this is going to replace you. This is the place. And I remember like there was a receptionist there and she was right out of college. And she goes... Oh my God, that's like Facebook. I go, yeah, Facebook for business. And I remember she goes, oh my God. And then I, as I was walking out, she goes, come here for a second. She goes, all the chamber members here know me and they like me. So they connect with me on Facebook. And I go, oh, yeah. And she goes, and then me and my friends went down to Florida for spring break and some dude, some old man commented on, hey, you girls are beautiful. And we're on like at the beach or something. He goes, and I go, oh. I would delete all of those people and say, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. (laughs) And it's funny because I've had the same LinkedIn is more the business Facebook or Instagram or a million other things are more for friends and family. I know there's overlap, but. Yeah, but Facebook's like vacations and unfortunately politics and religion and that stuff should not make it over. I'm on there just to connect with friends and family uh, via Messenger. But anyway, so let's talk a little bit about LinkedIn. So when we were prepping, I was saying in this last year or so, we've all been working from home with COVID. I've always worked from home, so that's fine by me. But I would like to leave occasionally. What I've noticed, though, is LinkedIn has gotten a little spammy. I'll say here's a few things I've noticed, and I'm not against all of it. Sometimes I see people post things that are more personal than than I've saw in the past. And I'm not against that because I think I don't mind seeing a little bit of your personality. I don't like any political talk because I feel like this is so divisive. Don't do it. You know, you're going to upset half your friends or half your connections. Don't do it. Exactly. But I don't mind seeing your family or your anniversary or your trip or your dog. I don't care. It feels like a little bit of Instagram or Facebook culture, but I don't care. That's fine. I want to know the people. I think in the last year, we're doing Zoom meetings and you're like, I saw your cat and I saw you in your bathrobe. Exactly. <laughs> right? and so It's becoming more acceptable. 100%. I agree. So I don't mind becoming a little more personal. What I don't like is I get a lot, what I think is spammy. You don't have to think it. It, it is spam. 
what also makes me also feel a little self-conscious. We're connected on LinkedIn. I liked your stuff. And then I, when I was sending you a message, hey, please be on my podcast, I thought, oh, does she get a whole bunch of crap emails from people she doesn't want to get them from? And so I was thinking, because you can just find yourself glommed together with. So many of these people send me messages saying, would you like to buy this list? Would you like to buy this list or would you like leads? And I was thinking, if I say yes, are you going to spam a whole bunch of people on my behalf? Right, exactly. So I feel like everyone wants to build an app for me. Everybody. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> I think and upgrade your website and yeah. Yeah, so it's gotten a little spammy and yeah. talk a little bit about that. That can't be the right way. And you're going to tell us the three keys to LinkedIn success. That can't be one of them, right? <laughs> that is absolutely not one of them. But, you know, you're right. And I mean, when we created Vengrasso, we never knew there'd be a pandemic. The fact that we're a virtual sales training company is has worked out for us. But we didn't know there was going to be a pandemic. And that literally every company, because to your point, LinkedIn has replaced chambers of commerce in a large part. And most definitely over the past well, now it's what, 15 months. We have to realize that yes, you know, LinkedIn is where we go to find those professional relationships. But I don't know what happened that people went, well, I would never in say a chamber meeting, run up to someone and go, you know, here's my business card. Here's my business card. This is what I do. 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 Hire me, hire me, hire me. And yet that is what people are doing on LinkedIn. You would never go to a chamber event naked. And yet people have these sparse profiles. You would never go to a chamber event with a bag over your head. And yet that's how people are showing up on LinkedIn. And it's not really their fault because their companies are like, okay, there's a pandemic. You're working from home. You need to generate leads. So you need to do all this cold calling. And also you need to get on LinkedIn. So you know how you do cold calling. So that must be how you do LinkedIn too, right? But it's not, as we know, it's not a numbers game. And we talked about this a little bit earlier in the green room too. But if you're used to cold calling, that's the way you think. Right. And, you know, it's interesting where we're at with B2B sales. I think it's 90 some percent of people are doing research online. That's the first thing they do when I need, I'm sick of my logistics or transportation company. They're going to be gone in six months when the contract So they go on LinkedIn, they go elsewhere, and they Google things, and they look at articles. So they're looking at you many, many months before. Absolutely. And and I think that the challenge you run into is if you don't share any content, when they're looking around, they don't find you. They don't think of you as the expert. And what you're hoping for is, I will call them on the precise day that they say, I need a list of new suppliers, or I will hit them via LinkedIn. And better to say, look, I don't have to gain favorable attention in 15 seconds on the phone. I don't have to spam them. I can share content. I can do other things. And it begins with that LinkedIn profile because if somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, I've got this great deal for you, blah, 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 whatever, maybe I'm interested. Usually I wouldn't even answer if I didn't recognize the number. But first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look them up on LinkedIn. And if I see you got 10 connections and no picture, I'm going to go, they probably created that scam profile this morning. Exactly right. I would invite everyone who's listening to the podcast right now, if you've got your phone or you're in front of your computer, Google yourself. Chances are your LinkedIn profile is on the first page. Click on that link right now. Is that how you want to be represented? Because 100% to your point, Joe, 
your 75% of B2B vendors, of B2B buyers are researching their vendors. 75% is probably higher than that, honestly. Another really interesting statistic. So those folks who are thinking, you know, yeah, maybe I should have done this a year ago, but we're all getting vaccines now and everything's opening up and it's going to go back to business as normal. McKinsey did a study and guess what's not going back to normal? B2B buyers. They're like going, you know, I like this working from home. I'm cool with not having to deal with site visits all the time. I'm cool with not traveling to trade shows and conferences, you know, and leaving my family. I think I'm going to stay home for a while. So 85% of B2B buyers are digging the pandemic way. And so, yeah, the need to up-level your LinkedIn skills is something that's going to be here for a long, long, long time, probably forever. So, so yeah, let's talk about what's good, what's bad, what's ugly, and what you need to do. <laughs> I would also say that when somebody looks at your LinkedIn profile, it should be updated. One of the other things that drives me crazy is when somebody calls and says, I do this, this, and this, and I'm pulling them up on LinkedIn. I was like, well, it doesn't say that on your profile. Exactly. That's out of date. I got a new job. Oh, okay. It just feels like disconnected. It feels like a detail you should have caught up with. But anyway, I know you wrote a book and I know you have a whole bunch of keys to success. <laughs> so 101 yeah. of them, but we're not going to do them all today. <laughs> right, right. So you have a whole bunch of keys to success, but I want to cover three with you today. Yeah. So these are three and you have a lot more, but please share with us what's the first thing that we should be, what's the first key that we should be trying to do on LinkedIn? Yeah, and it comes back to what we've been talking about, profiles. You have to make sure not only that you're presenting yourself on LinkedIn in your best possible light, but even folks who have, quote, good profiles on LinkedIn, they're still basically resumes on steroids. No one cares about you yet. Hopefully they will later on, but no one cares about you yet. So you, who do they care about? Themselves. So you want to make sure that your profile is buyer-centric, that ironically, it's more focused on your buyer than yourself. So step number one, make sure you know who your buyer is. Step number two, make sure you know how you serve them. And just like hopefully every salesperson who's listening to this knows you don't talk about features and products, you talk about the benefit to the buyer. So your LinkedIn profile should be buyer-centric and focused on how you can help them. That's number one, is make sure that you are focused on your buyer, on their points of pain, on their needs, and how you solve them. So different things you can do, right? Background images. If you've got a company with four people in it, or 40,000 people in it, you want to make sure that that background image, that area behind your picture is not a blue blur. You've got a great marketing opportunity. Now, if you aren't in marketing, you're in sales, thank you very much, reach out to the marketing department and say, hey, can you create some nice background images for our company that reflect what we do, who we help, and how we help them. I've seen some people who have some very nice ones. When you look at the background, like I have trucks in my background, and I like it, but I'm going to update it because it's been a while. But I've seen where they've got these, something that looks like it matches their website, and then they have their phone number in there in big print and like a Twitter handle. And I was like, 
That's pretty slick. Why not? <laughs> Call to action, motto. I mean, any of that. We walk our talk for sure at, at Vengresso. So like my background image is my book now and my co-author. If you go and check out our company and the rest of our employees, all of our employees, not just our salespeople, not just our marketing team, but our customer support folks, our profile writers, right? We all have one of our Vengresso backgrounds, whether it's our software play, which is flymessage.io, whether it's just a Vengresso background image, whether it's my book, we're always, it's marketing. So like I said, if you've got five people or 50,000, create those background images and share them with your team and your whole team, not just the sales team or ask marketing to do that for you. Right. I'm a big fan of Fiverr.com. Go to Fiverr. If you're a one-man band, go over to Fiverr. It probably costs you five, 10 bucks to get a background, maybe 20 bucks, but it's well worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you don't have a marketing department, exactly. So the first link I'll share with folks, and it's just a slide share, so you don't have to give us your email or anything. If you go to Vengresso with one S, V-E-N-G-R-E-S-O, banner.com, that's got all the dimensions for both the company page banner and the individual profile banner. Yeah. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So vengressobanner.com. The second thing is the headline. Most people have title it company because whether you started your profile in 2007 or 2017, LinkedIn basically said, what's your title and what's your company? And then they went, okay, we're going to put that in the headline section. But in fact, you've got 220 characters. And if I said I'm the CVO of Vengresso, which is my title, You'd be like, wait, CVO, what is that? <laughs> exactly. That's what you would say. It's chief <laughs> visibility officer. If we have time, I'll tell you that story too. How it, <laughs> but yeah, so what's a CVO and what's a Vengresso? It means nothing. But, you know, we help B2B salespeople create more quality and qualified conversations on LinkedIn. Okay, that means something, especially if you're a B2B salesperson who doesn't know how to create quality conversations on LinkedIn. So your headline needs to focus on who you help and how you help them. And because you have 220 characters, that's characters, not words, you can also then say who you are and what your company name is. And when you put your company name in there, use .com. Because a lot of times, right, people will search for Microsoft.com. And if you don't have the .com in there, LinkedIn's just not that smart, your company won't show up. That's another thing that drives me crazy lately. Yeah. So if you work for a company, create the company profile and connect to that company profile. Oh my gosh, yes. There's no way to get there. I have to look it up. My first thought is you don't have a website. Yes. And if I absolutely know you have a website, I'll I'll start the search, but it's basically a broken link. It's one exactly. more place where I go, okay, if I wanted someone who won't follow up on details, I can use myself. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for bringing that up. So in your experience section, if you don't see your company logo next to your title on the left-hand side, it means you haven't attached yourself to the company yet. So just hit the little edit pen, start typing in your company name again and choose it from the dropdown. That will pull in the logo. And to be fair, you know, if you started LinkedIn in 2007, they didn't have that feature yet. So you would have to have done it more recently. I would also say, since I look at a lot of LinkedIn profiles, because I like to use them, I cut and paste a lot of stuff for my show notes out of people's LinkedIn profile or from the company page. Yeah, It's amazing how many company pages are way out of date or not available. And some of them, I get it. Some companies are growing really rapidly and we got a lot of things going on. And this is something that bothers me a little bit. It bothers me about mine right now and I'm getting it fixed is you have a website 
and it's got some sort of look, right? And then your LinkedIn profile is different and then your company profile is different and then your Facebook is different and somebody doesn't get a cohesive feel for your brand. And if you've created a brand on your website, let it flow across all those things. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's something I always teach and you're 100% right. And you know, in company pages on LinkedIn, literally I was interviewed about it, I would say a month, two months ago. And I was like, meh, you know, you should have them for that reason, for branding. And you might as well put your content there. They're great content hubs if you have employees so that you can get your employees sharing your content too. But LinkedIn has added all these new features to company pages, including products pages, life pages, insights, posts. I mean, there's so many great features to company pages right now that it would be ridiculous. Here's free marketing. Here's free visibility. Why wouldn't you make use of that when you consider that Each click is going to, you know, if you had to pay for each click, it would be somewhere between $1 and $15. I don't know what the cost of acquisition is for the average person on this call, but I mean, for us, it's something like $280 just to acquire a conversation with someone. We could pay for it or we could use LinkedIn really strategically and do it for free. We don't pay for any advertising and we're growing faster than I can handle. Our reach is over 19 million people. So it's all free. It's all free, people. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's also interesting. And this is another thing. I, I remember somebody saying to me, oh, my company's this big and it was 300 million. And I was like, oh, okay. So I was on LinkedIn. I was like, 300 million with seven employees. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That's super impressive. <laughs> and, wow. Can I, <laughs> I invest? But I also think if your employees don't link themselves to your company, Mm -hmm. then they don't show up. It's interesting. People get a sense for your company because when you go to a company page, you can sort by people and you can go, they have even keywords. So I can look at, oh, they've got six people in marketing. That's a good sized company. Right. If they don't connect to you. They don't show up. Yep. It's like they're not there. When a customer is looking for you, you want to be able to be found. Yeah, 100%. So anyway, we talked about creating a buyer-centric profile. And then what was the second one you said? The no like, and trust factor. But before we do that, let me just share a few more features on the profile that are relatively new. And again, free marketing. So we talked about the background image. We talked about the headline. There's a really cool little feature. It's only available to create on the mobile app. It's called name pronunciation. But it is a 10-second elevator pitch. So if you go to my profile right now, which just literally Google LinkedIn expert and my profile will be like the first or second thing that shows up. I will put it in the show notes so they'll be able to find it. Okay, perfect. Just click on that. You'll see a little audio icon to the right of my name. If you click on that, you'll hear me say, hey, this is Vivica Von Rosen, Chief Visibility Officer of Vengresso. We help B2B buyers create more quality and qualified conversations on LinkedIn, which is what my headline says. But now you literally hear me saying it. So A, you know how to say my name, Vivica Von Rosen, not Vivica Von Rosen, which I get all the time. Um, you know how to say Vengresso. It's not Vengrosso. <laughs> and you know that we help work B2B companies, blah, blah, blah. And so that is a really, really cool tool for two reasons. If you've got a difficult name to pronounce, there's no excuses anymore for people mispronouncing it. And you got my name right. Thank you very much. <laughs> and the second is you get this free elevator pitch. Right. And there's even a newer, this literally came out a couple days ago and not very many people have it yet, 
but there's something called video story something. I'm totally messing it up. But anyway. You send me a link. I'll put it in the show notes with the rest. It's so cool because it is your talking head where your picture should be. So your head is literally talking and then people can click on the orange ring. And again, now you can give them a 20 second elevator speech. So again, if you, it's so cool and it's available on both mobile and on the app. So if you see a little orange plus sign where your picture should be orange, not the regular one, but an orange plus sign. Now you can create a little 20 second video and upload it there. It's really, really, really cool. And another neat feature, which is about a year old, is the featured section. This allows you to upload media, which is making your profile more of a resource than a resume. And that's what we want. So you can upload media, you can upload white papers, blog posts, podcasts, any kind of media that your company is creating. And hopefully they're creating content. Hopefully your marketing department is doing some kind of content marketing you can feature that content, but it, you don't want it to be sales pitchy stuff. You want it to be helpful. I say this all the time. Um, when you have a problem, whatever your problem might be, whatever business that you, you say, I need help. You don't ever go into Google and go sales guy. No, you type in, I need a plumber or I need a truck. So it's funny, people kind of create a profile that to your point looks like a resume and then they act salesy where you're like, I don't want it to be sold. I want to learn. I want to. And I think also what, what we all know about the way we buy today, if your kids go into college, you start Googling online years before. If you're buying a new house, you start looking online years before. Cars, vacations, everything we buy, we know how we buy it. We go online, goof around while we're watching TV. They're buying logistics services, warehousing services, tech services the same way. They're just kind of Half in it, half not while watching TV, looking for what do I need to do with my transportation provider? Absolutely. And, you know, thank you for bringing that up because that brings us to our next key, the KLT factor. So with your buyer centric profile, that is more of a resource to your buyer than a resume to yourself. That's going to help build that KLT, that no like and trust factor that comes from my friend Bob Berg. Some of you might have heard of him. He wrote Endless Referrals. So if you're in sales, you've probably read that book, Endless Referrals. And he also wrote this little book called The Go-Giver. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And I've got a story about Bob, too. He's actually the one who launched me into my career. So KLT, all things being equal, people do business with the people and refer the people that they know, like, and trust. So we call it the KLT factor. Make it shorter. But if you've got a resume that just talks about yourself and you're a quota crushing sales guy and you've been in the president's club for 19 years. Ew. Like, I don't want to work with that person. That's a high pressure, ewy, yucky salesperson. Right? <laughs> I've been in car sales. I know. I want to work with someone who is my trusted advisor, like pre-Mad Men, right? Back in the day, the salesperson was the trusted advisor, the person you went to to ask questions and get answers. And that's what we need to do again today. We need to set ourselves up as a trusted advisor. So that means building that KLT factor. Right. So the only way they're going to know, like, and trust you is you're going to have to be out there a little bit sharing some content. One of the things that's come up, you know, on this podcast a few times is this idea that a lot of people cold call in the transportation logistics space. 
That's the way you've always done it. And, yeah, exactly. And one of the challenges is sometimes you're just given a list. And then what happened over time is some people, if they're a big shipper, everyone knows who they are. Because you say, I drove by and I saw they had trucks out front, so I'm going to call them tomorrow. Is they don't know your business when they call. And you're just a name on the list and you feel that way. And so I always say when you do this no like trust is you have to be able to articulate the problems that you solve in a way that resonates with your audience. So if you say, I only work with people in the cold chain who have the following five problems. They don't want to ship. They don't want stuff thought out. They want transparent pricing, whatever those four or five things are and be able to, that's what you're talking about. These are the problems you have. And then later on, here's the solutions. But my feeling is always the same. If you're talking about your solutions, they might not connect your solutions with their problems. But if you're talking about their problems in a way that they go, oh, that gal gets it. She gets what I'm going through. That works. If they assume, if you can talk about my problems, you know how to solve them. So please tell me more. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I'm cracking up because I think the whole reason I just glommed on to LinkedIn so much back in the day is because, yes, when I was selling cars, oh my God, Mondays, right? You'd get that list of numbers to call. And you had to go through all of those numbers by the end of the week and try to upsell them from a car you just sold them last year that had lost 80% of its value. But hey, buy a new one at, you know, over sales price. So I detested cold calling, number one. I'm also laughing at your example because my refrigerator went out sometime last night and I spent all morning throwing away rotten food. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, <laughs> but to your point, yeah, you need to know who your buyer is, what their points of pain are and how you solve them. So that's number one. And also not at a superficial level. Because a lot of times if you say, and this is another challenge you run into, if I would say, Vivica, what's your biggest problem? You go, my biggest problem is my refrigerator is broke. Fix it. I just want to fix or, or I need to do it. And it's very superficial and that you need to kind of keep yeah, I find Vivek on a day where she can actually think about it and go, what's, what are you really looking for? And it doesn't happen overnight. And a lot of times I've asked when I was still selling logistics services, you work with us. What do you like about us? I like that you send me a bill and uh, we pay it. I don't know. You guys move my freight. <laughs> and so, so then exactly. later on, I'm like writing that down. We move his freight and we send him. Right. Remove no, okay. his freight. <laughs> That's not what I need. I need to go that deeper. But anyway. Yeah. And to your point, I'll do it in a different order than I was going to. Talk to your buyers. Yes. Talk to your happy buyers. Talk to your unhappy buyers. The problem is you get marketing who's got a marketing buyer persona and you get sales who's actually talking to the client. And a lot of times there's a huge gap. There is no connection there. One of the things that social selling does is it brings the the, the seller and the marketer together, right? You need to integrate right? those roles more, more and more. You absolutely need to integrate those roles. But as the salespeople, oh my God, I'm busy enough. Now you want me to do marketing too. No, we don't necessarily want you to create the marketing content, but we want you to feed it out in a way to your network that hits them. And you were talking about this earlier too, We're not psychic sellers. We don't know exactly when our buyer needs to hear from us. We're not psychic. And so we need to continue to feed our network at the right time with the right content. So I'm going to talk about actually key number three, and then we'll go back to key number two. So key number three 
is staying top of mind. It's called TOMA or top of mind awareness, staying top of mind with our buyers or with our referral partners so that when the refrigerator breaks down, we're the people that they think of. And that means sharing content throughout the entire buyer's journey. The awareness part, marketing can take care of. But consideration and purchasing, that is absolutely in the domain of the seller. And you still need to be sharing content that hopefully marketing is creating for you. If not, you can curate it from other places as long as it's not a competitor. But you need to find and share that content all the time, once or twice a day. Right. And I would say this is where marketing and sales are integrated. We just had some podcasts about this is that you see a lot of people are creating videos and I think very good ones and nothing fancy. They're just creating a video and slapping it up on LinkedIn and saying, hi, everybody, Tom here and blah, blah, blah. And it might be a 30 second video, but they're doing them. And that's would traditionally be a marketing role, but salespeople are doing it. And I think also you know, some of my customers are saying, yeah, we are working in a way with sales and marketing are working closer than ever before because it's almost required of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that because now that brings me back up to KLT. Yeah. 100%. In fact, we've got a program called Selling with Video that is all about that. It's about how do you create that video communication? Because again, We have been on our computers and in our basement offices for over a year. We have not had those conferences. We have not had those face-to-face meetings except for Zoom. So if people are doing all their prospecting or all their research on LinkedIn, in most cases, it's black and white and you might have a picture that was taken like 15 years ago. Oh yeah, my LinkedIn picture is a little out of date. <laughs> I've gotten older and fatter. So if you look at my picture, that, that was Joe when he was thinner and younger. <laughs> hey, you know, the COVID-20 is real. It was 19, but now it's 20. So to your point, having video on your LinkedIn profile, and now we have those, ah, I remember what they're called, video cover stories. So now we've got, some of us have, the video cover stories right where our picture is. So yeah, you want to make sure that your picture is updated because if it goes from like your picture (laughs) to something like, is that the same dude? But you've got video cover stories. You have the featured section where you can actually put like a little introduction video. Hey, this is Vivica. This is who we serve. This is how we have helped companies like yours. These are the results that they got. You can send private, if you use your phone, you don't even need to use software, although we do. You can send video messages and voicemails to your connections. Like, hey, Joe, how you doing? Vivica, we haven't talked in a right. while. Hey, I was wondering if you wanted to be on my podcast. Right. Would love to have you. Read your latest, blah, blah, whatever. Right? We use software called OneMob, but there's BombBomb, there's Videolicious, right. there's Vidyard. There's so many great tools out there where you can send that video and talk about building the KLT factor. Now it's just not me going, I'm a LinkedIn expert because my LinkedIn profile says so. And that's my URL. <laughs> It's funny because I've said it, it's a little bit, it feels like Instagram culture moving to LinkedIn. And I think that's fine as long as we're doing it properly. I think one of the challenges is, I'm not taking advantage of this yet, is I think, you know, some people go, oh my God, look, like I got two chins. I don't want to go on. I don't want to do this. And I think one of the things we all have to do is figure out a little bit how to make that work. So if you have to get the right lighting, go on YouTube, figure out the right lighting. Oh, it's all about the right lighting. (laughs) (laughs) I need... 
I want the Brad Pitt lighting, Googling Brad Pitt lighting, (laughs) but you have to figure out the right way to do it because there are some tricks to the trade. And some people, I want to say people who are in their 20s, they've been doing this for a bit. They're on Instagram and I see like, oh my God, you get it. And I think people my age, we did not plan on any of this. And I think we have to learn how to present online. And yes, and because Joe, when you went and met with a client before, did you have a paper bag on your head, right? When you met them face-to-face at the trade show, at the conference, at their office, they saw right. you. All <laughs> and, of and you. Sometimes, sometimes so, not in good lighting either. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, at least this way, they're only seeing us from the chest right. up. So whatever down below. But I think you have to get a little confident because I created stuff where you go, oh my God, look at me. Or every once in a while where the video stops and you're like, it stopped with my mouth wide open. You're like, what is going on? You have to get a little comfortable with that. It's here to stay. And it's interesting. We've all done Zoom calls where three or four people are on it. And then one person's like, I didn't take a shower. So you just see a black screen where (laughs) where I'm at. And you go, that's fine after you know everybody, but you want to be able to put a face with a name. Yeah, we've got a rule at our company. And yeah, there'll be times where I will not have, because I'll be working out while I'm doing the painting. But, um, you know, there, d- we have a rule at our company that the video is on and we will ask our clients when we have the meetings with them to turn on their video and you better be dressed. <laughs> and I think all companies should have that. It, once in a while, you can turn it off. But like, to your point, if you haven't met the people yet, put the dang camera right. on. And yes, it is more than, hey, you used to meet people face to face, like, this is no different. We wouldn't have a whole course on it. <laughs> a few years ago, I did a Zoom meeting. There was a spider on my ceiling. So I was in my gym clothes because I went to the gym, but you couldn't really see that. And uh, so I was in my gym clothes. And then I went and I got a towel and I got this towel wet. I was throwing it up at the ceiling. And then I thought uh, my video wasn't on. And then all of a sudden there was like a stop. And then somebody goes, Lynch, what the F are you doing? I'm like, oh my God. I was like, I didn't realize my camera's on. They're like, Thanks for dressing for the meeting. What were you doing? <laughs> I was like, oh, killing the spider. Like, we're having a marketing meeting. I was like, I, I was paying attention. <laughs> promise I was. I did the same thing. I was in one of our founders meetings right when we first started the company. I wasn't really thinking about it. I was kind of packing and listening because it wasn't my part. And then while I was packing, I'm like, oh, I wonder if this shirt fits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very nice. <laughs> Whoosh! <laughs> my party, I was like, um, Viv, you're still on camera. So not, it's not only fans getting <laughs> Yeah, like all of us do it, all of us. But now we're now we're more Zoom aware. Now we're more Zoom aware. Yeah, talk about the KLT factor. <laughs> a little more than you wanted. So let's summarize this. So you talked about the, creating a buyer-centric profile. So it's not just a video resume. It's really think about what your buyer wants and be able to have that. And then you mentioned this KLT factor and trying to know, like, trust. And I think you also had something in here. I wrote a note down, engage before connecting. And then we maybe can touch on that. And then the last one you talked about was this idea of top of mind awareness, which I mean, I'm going to be sharing on a regular basis. And this, I should also mention, I know you've got a lot more rules. That's why they got to buy your book. It's free, right? They go online and get it. So if you go to Amazon, it's going to be, I think it's $12.99 right now, but we are going to give you a link so that you can get it for free. Yes. Nice. PDF. You're not going to get the physical book for free, but we are going to send you the PDF of the book for free. Excellent. Excellent. So some final thoughts on this, Vivica. Yeah, we went off on a tangent, (laughs) but with the KLT, the know, like, and trust factor, 
a big mistake that people make that we talked about earlier was reaching out to you before they know you and trying to sell their wares, obviously. And so that doesn't work. Engage with them before connecting. If you go to their profile and they're active, if your buyer is active on LinkedIn, if they're sharing posts, start engaging with their posts. That will build a little top of mind awareness. That will get them face name recognition so that when you do invite them to connect, They'll have that, Joe, Joe, Joe Lynch. Yeah, nice guy. Can't remember what he does, but nice guy. Sure, I'll I'll accept that invitation to connect. And then your follow-up shouldn't be, hey, buy my stuff. Your follow-up is what we call the PVC strategy, which we'll send a link to that too. But PVC is not just piping. It stands for personalize. So not dear sir, when you're a ma'am and, you know, use their name. So personalize it either to the individual or at least to the buyer persona, add value, not, hey, we've got a free webinar. That's not value because they don't know yet. What you said, Joe, earlier was spot on. You got to deep dive into their points of pain and really talk about how you can help them solve that. And here's a podcast, here's a webinar, here, or not a webinar, here's a podcast, here's a blog post, here's a white paper, here's a checklist, here's a something that helps with that. And then the C is the call to action. The first call to action should not be, let's book a meeting. They don't know you yet. You haven't earned the right yet. The first call to action should be, read this article and let me know what you think. You start that qualified quality conversation. So that's builds that KLT. And then for top of mind awareness, we mentioned you want to share content But I also want to mention the 411 rule. The content you share shouldn't be 100% your company's content. Four pieces of content should be third party. It might be somebody else's blog, someone else's podcast, someone else's newsletter, something you yourself find interesting. As you're reading the news, as you're listening to the news, you might go, you know, my audience would dig that. So I'm going to share that on LinkedIn. And then the one of 411, one piece would be just from your company. And then one piece can be a sales piece or a marketing piece. But four of those pieces should be other people's content so that you become a great curator of content. That helps keep you top of mind, but also builds that KLT factor. And it speaks to the buyer-centric profile. And then as we wrap it up, you need to pull all of this together into a cadence that you do every day. And you got to put it in your calendar. I'm going to work on LinkedIn for 15 minutes, for 30 minutes, for five minutes. Eat that elephant one bite at a time. I tend to put that off sometimes. When I do get into it, I'm like, just go in and update the headline. Don't worry about everything. Just get in and do this. Just do, And it's funny. I need to do it again, but it's... One step at a time. <laughs> if you don't do it, somebody's looking at your profile and going, oh, not a good fit. And maybe it is a good fit today. But Ann Holmes has been on my podcast quite a bit. She's an executive coach. And one of the things she talks about is digital first. So what tends to stick with people is if they have, or they talk to you on the phone and they saw your LinkedIn profile or your website, the digital sticks with them. So they go, well, what he said on the phone doesn't match this. So I'm going to trust the digital. So <laughs> we, and keep in mind, you talk on the phone for 10 minutes and then they're looking at your LinkedIn. They look again, they look at your website. They got lots of time to keep looking at that. So if it doesn't match what they heard, created what, a fear, uncertainty, a doubt. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the opposite of the KLT factor. Exactly. It's the F-U-D, the FUD factor. Right. right. <laughs> 
fear, uncertainty, and doubt. There we go. Or as my friend Steve always says, how much turd has to be in the punch bowl before you don't want any? <laughs> not much. Exactly. <laughs> just, not not much. much. It's a speck. I'm out. So exactly. <laughs> just the thought of it. <laughs> Vivica, tell us how we can reach out to you. First off, who do you guys work with? And then tell us how do we reach out to you guys? Yeah, we work with B2B sales teams primarily. We've got a couple B2C clients, but they work with B2B companies. So it's all very aligned. Yeah, B2B sales teams of uh, 20 plus um, individuals. We work with a lot of insurance companies, ironically. I'm not quite sure why, but a lot of insurance companies. We work with a lot of tech companies. We do work with a couple transportation companies. So if you're B2B, yeah, if you're B2B, we definitely would love to work with your team. If you are less than 20, people. That's why we've got the book. And we have a ton of free resources on our website, which I'll share with you. And and we even have on-demand programs. So if there's, you know, if your sales team of 19 or less, you can always run your folks through our completely on-demand program as well. So but yeah, you basically want to be in sales in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> so now do you deliver those classes via online like Zoom? Yeah, that was one of our pivots, obviously, is we used to do a lot of the launching of the program face-to-face so people would get, you know, a sense of who we are and we'd get their profiles up and running. And then we'd launch into the rest of the program completely online. But yeah, now obviously we've had to make it 100% online, which is fine. It's well-suited for that, that we do for 20 plus people. There's an on-demand element, then there's a live training element, then there's a live coaching element, and then there's customized resources. We've got a platform specifically for them to use. We've got discussion forums, there's reports. There's gamification. I mean, obviously, we take it to a whole other level, but you know, really, just we're from free to six hundred thousand. It really is depends on what you need. I think you know, more and more companies are realizing the importance of LinkedIn. And you know, it's funny. Somebody could have said like three years ago, five years ago, the key is LinkedIn, and you go, yeah, here we are, five years later, the key is still LinkedIn. It is where business is done. I know people would go. Well, what about Facebook? What about Twitter? What about and none of those compare in my mind? They're not even in the same league as LinkedIn. It's where business is done. And again, if you don't have a LinkedIn profile, I've said this to young people who call me college students. They're like, "Oh, you don't exist." I looked on LinkedIn. You don't exist. So I can't be talking to you until you exist. <laughs> and and I think the bar is even higher than that now. Don't just create that placeholder where there's no picture or I always call it the realtor picture because we ever notice the realtors are like 20 years out of date. My picture is only like five years out of date, but there's like 20 years out of date. Yeah, similar. You know, we start with the branding and then we move into engaging and then we move into connecting and then we move into feeding and then we move into the whole cadence. But yeah, we do start with the branding. And to my point earlier, we've got a free ebook. We'll put the links in the notes that you can use to build your profile on your own. We've got LinkedIn profile experiences for individuals that are about a thousand bucks. We have them for teams that start at 15,000. So it really depends on what your price point is, but free is free guys and gals. Like there's no excuse not to have an awesome profile and brand. And then yes, you need to add the other elements in too later on. 
Well, this is excellent. And what I'll do is I'll, I know we talked about putting a lot of links in. We'll have to get put our head together afterwards. All the links that you want from Vivica, all the put links. them in the show notes so you can uh, reach out. But this has been a great resource. I mean, I know you've got a lot more to share. We could go on for hours, but then everything you do is free. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what we'll do is uh, we'll put those links in. And if you want to reach out and follow up with Vivica, please do. Thank you so much, Vivica. I do appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's been fun. And thank all of you for listening to the podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. <laughs>